This is our second segment of Ed's Not Dead featuring renowned writer and educational expert, Dr. Carol Ann Tomlinson. In our first installment, we talked to Dr. Tomlinson about the research ideas and processes that support differentiation. In this segment, we're going to dive into the implementation of differentiation and how it works in classrooms. How psyched are you guys to have Dr. An- Dr. Tomlinson back it's on the show? It's a bonus more. It's, so excited. It's the, it's the bonus segment. <laughs> All right. Welcome back, Dr. Tomlinson. Thanks. Looking forward to part two. Part one was fine, so I'm optimistic about part two as well. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to lead with the first question. I um, am just about done a 188-page di- dissertation. Um, but who's counting? Yeah, who's counting? I'm very proud of how long it was. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's it's on how to restructure middle schools um, to increase achievement. And um, one of the kind of one of the 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 rationales of the dissertation is that the organizational structures in secondary education make it very difficult for teachers to differentiate, namely the, the seven period day, the 47 minute class. Um, so I was wondering about your thoughts about how you've worked successfully with secondary teachers to bust through that barrier of time in secondary classrooms. Well, I guess I'd say two things there. One is of course, that time is the teacher's greatest gift and the teacher's greatest curse. It's, what we have to have to move forward, and there's never enough of it. So time is something that teachers continue to think about. Um, I would always take longer blocks of time rather than shorter ones, although you may have had experience with the notion that when folks go to more modular schedules where there are longer periods, either always or some of the time, that makes us nervous, too, because we don't know quite what to do with that stuff. That's right squirmy little middle school kids that might not want to sit still for 90 or 120 minutes this and we is... kind of would like to have the 45 minute period back yeah. <laughs> um, but you, it's clearly um, once you get accustomed to that new format it gives you much opportunity to be able to do many lessons with the whole class and then have them working in different configurations for a period of time and then bring them back together for closure and that's a lovely thing but if you've got the 55-minute or 47-minute periods or whatever it is, <clears throat> I'll share with you a really stupid epiphany that I had after about, <laughs> I guess, seven or eight years of teaching I uh, in a differentiated classroom. I, like many teachers, would you know get sort of breathless when I thought the bell was going to ring because we weren't quite through yet, and so I had to stuff everything in fast to get it um, you know, to end when the bell did. And then one day it occurred to me that at home, I was forever starting something that I didn't finish, and I just put it down in a place where I could find it, and then when there was time, which might be a week or two later, I'd come back and pick it up. And I thought, well, dang, just because the bell rings doesn't mean the end of the world has to come. I can show the kids how to put it down and pick it up again the next day. And um, it made me much more likely to plan in blocks of a week here's what I'd like to think we could finish in all these class periods put together versus I can only plan what I, what I can get done in exactly 47 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that was really liberating and dumb as it is, it was a very important breakthrough for me. Sort of teaching kids how to end a classroom in, in good order and where they can grab the stuff the next day and go back to it is, is freeing, I think for everybody. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So you talk about planning. Um, so let's say I'm a teacher and I'm like, yes, 
I have not really dif- differentiated before, but I I want to, but I don't know where to start. So where would you point somebody? What do they What do they need to know? What do they need to be able to do? Kind of like what's the jumping off point to really get started with that differentiated classroom? Well, where you jump off is seldom where you want to end up. <laughs> but in the jumping off process, I think it is the jumping off that matters. And so um, I just try something. I don't think there's a recipe. For example, I think it's a good thing for some teachers to spend nine weeks or a semester sort of doing nothing but formative assessment, pre-assessments and formative assessments. Don't do anything with them. Just give them, but look at them over and over. And start asking yourself, you know, how is this looking? Are they in the same place? Can I see patterns here? Hmm. It's, It's incredible. But when you start, if you really consistently do that, you suddenly become so motivated to do something about what you're seeing that you're kind of propelled forward. Um, I think a great way to start sometimes is to make sure that you have taught your students how to work on something for periods of time where they're not going to talk to each other, not going to collaborate, just going to sit and work on whatever it is. And then during that time, um, start calling kids up one at a time to talk with them just a little bit and make sure that the class can handle that sort of um, additional you know, noise, uh, um, discombobulation in the room. Mm -hmm. And then try calling them up two or three at a time and see what you can do. It's worth that investment over a period of weeks, especially at the beginning of school, so that the kids know when you say we're going to do this kind of work, they do it silently, and they expect you to be meeting with small groups. Later on, what I'd like to be able to do is have the kids working in small groups all around the classroom or independently, and then I'm someplace meeting with a small group, and then I cruise around and check on them, and then I go back to the group again. Um, But small group instruction doesn't take a tremendous amount of planning, and it's extraordinarily powerful, especially in middle school where the kids need your presence, and they also sometimes concentrate better when your hairy eyeball is on them. Um, (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) You can can start differentiating with any number of websites that now have um, readings on important topics at multiple um, reading levels. And so getting materials from those things which are free and which you can get sometimes at four or five or six Lexile levels lets you have kids reading an an article on science on the same topic, but that all of them can actually understand. And then you can meet in small groups to help the kids who can't quite manage the more advanced levels of the article really kind of work with those and begin to see how they can apply understandings that they have to those more complex um, situations. Um. So in, I, I've, I think we could all agree that, or at least at this table, that in the elementary schools, differentiation seems to happen maybe more frequently. Yes, it does. Right? Okay. <laughs> it's an expectation. Middle school, and, and what I've seen in my practice, there is there is differentiation happening uh, to some degree. I, I don't want to paint. I'm going to paint with a broad brush. I, I don't want to, but I'm the one in the group that does that, so I'm going to help go ahead and do it. Um, it seems like in high school, the the differentiation, or as they move up in grade levels, differentiation diminishes greatly. And I don't know if that has to do with tracking or just the. the I, I'm not really sure why it's happening, but do, do you see the same thing? And if so, what what kind of suggestions do you have to help high school teachers nine through twelve? start differentiating their instruction in a way that is really responsive to kids' needs. So I'm going to say something that's really hard for you guys. A lot of that has to do with the quality of leadership in a building. Sure. 
Um, I don't know that you can just say something that's going to flip a switch for a teacher and suddenly everything's going to change. Right. But if it's a mission in a school and if there's constant conversation about the signs that we have that we're failing some kids and doing better by others and looking at examples among us of, of teachers who are trying to figure out a way to get the kids where they are and over and over and over looking at that logic and the mandate that we have to give the best that we've got to every kid, not to put some of them in situations where they're going to always be lost or where people are going to teach down to them. Sure. The logic is just as profound, but I think it takes a certain kind of leadership and um, what a colleague of mine calls the hug and shove philosophy, letting the <laughs> teachers know that you're in their court and what they do matters to you because it matters to kids in the community, but also saying, so therefore I need to see this, or by this point, Let's be going on this and right. talking about it, being in the classroom and, and changing the culture there. Um, the more we begin to see school as covering information and not so much about teaching human beings, the more likely it is that we overlook the human beings. And in secondary schools, we have settled down comfortably with the idea that it's all about covering stuff and being sure we're telling the kids the right stuff. Um, and the right stuff is what we think we should tell them, not what they're prepared to learn. Um, that's not good logic any place, not at Yale, not at University of Virginia, not in a high school, not in a middle school, not anywhere. And we can all change. We just have to have um, both a vision for doing it and a great support system to get us there. Didn't you have a colleague at University of Virginia, uh, Edie Hirsch, that was that was big on the, the, the dates and names and times <laughs> and content? <laughs> You bet. Yeah, oh, good. Okay. Colleges good. are diverse places, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, and by the way, he was not, he is not on the ed school faculty. I don't know that that's really germane to too much, but. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm glad you pointed I that out. It's good to know. Uh, an interesting thing with him over time is that he has begun looking more and more at helping teachers find the meaning, the big ideas, rather than just the facts. Right. That's kind of interesting to ponder. It is interesting to ponder. Okay, Mr. Krabs, go ahead. So in, in talking about implementation again here, um, you know, we, we talked about how students can benefit from being in the diverse classroom and, work, you know, walking around in small group instruction. So is there ever a circumstance in which students would benefit from being placed in a remedial class to fit their distinct needs? Or do you think that even within... Uh, a heterogeneous uh, classroom, you can still meet the needs of pretty much every learner. I don't think anything in this world can meet the needs of every man or every um, skier or every musician or every student. But I think we have so much more distance that we could go uh, to, to span that gap that um, that becomes the smallest concern of mine. I, I have taught 12-year-olds who simply could not stay in school, in public school any longer because they had learned what there was to learn there and they were truly going nuts to be someplace where they could do advanced physics and work in medical labs. And those kids were just as ill-placed in heterogeneous classes. And, I, and by the way, in a 22-year career, I taught two of them. <laughs> um, and And on the other end, I have taught children who are so emotionally and not that they can't stay in a room with anybody longer right. than 10 or 15 minutes without self-destructing, literally. So there will always be students who need um, varied degrees of 
support that they can't get in a regular classroom, but there's so many ways we can support them in there with specialists and with teachers who increasingly understand what to do to make classes good for them that I think rather than saying, okay, well, let's look for all the loopholes we can find, we need to start with what is it we're going to do to see how much of the waterfront we can deal with here. And then when we see an exception, we'll figure out what to do. Focus on the superpowers, not the deficit. Yeah, for Just sure. like Zaretta said. You yeah. bet. You bet. Uh, Carol, thank you so much. Just before we go, is there any work that you're doing lately that you'd like to share with the Ed's Not Dead audience? Because we have teachers, principals, parents. We have lots of different people that listen to us, and we'd, we'd like to get out what you're, what you're currently working on. Well, I have just finished um, publishing with David Sousa a second edition of Differentiation in the Brain. Oh, nice. How Neuroscience Supports the Learner-Friendly Classroom. Um, it's a solution tree publication. And that's a really nice one to see the blending of what we know from how the brain learns increasingly these days and what we're advocating in differentiation. Um, I'm working on a book now for ASCD that looks at differentiation and personalization, which is a tricky topic because there's no definition that works quite yet for personalization, but what those two things have in common, how they can work together, but most particularly what we need to make sure we were doing good stuff. It's not the word differentiation or personalization that's going to save anybody, us or the kids. Mm -hmm. It's the quality of what we do in the name of those things. So I'm working with that as well, and also having a good time, not as often as I'd like, but from time to time, visiting a local high school here where high school teachers are doing some really energizing work with teaching in heterogeneous classrooms and working with the philosophy of teaching up, planning first for the most advanced kids and then differentiating to scaffold other kids up to that point. And it's a good way to get a a shot of energy any day I can. I want to go there. You bet. Um, uh, are you are you ever going to do a book on, or maybe you did, and I never saw it on on differentiation in the secondary classroom? I haven't done one specifically on that. Although, of course, there are always secondary examples, but um, that would be an interesting thing to do. I would enjoy doing it. Yeah. I would also point you to a book by um, two of my former students it's great fun when your students grow up oh, that's and start, awesome yeah you know doing stuff that makes you not only proud but you know it's good because it kind of agrees with you so <laughs> we're all wonderful people here yeah. but, um, <laughs> christina dubay d-o-u-b-e-t and um jessica hockett have written a book on differentiation in the secondary um grades um i'm in my study now and i may if i'm lucky um, find the thing. I know where to find it, so let me just hang here one second, and I'll open a door and go look. It's an ASCD publication, okay, and um, it's just called Differentiation in the Middle and High School, and its uh, its subtitle is Strategies to Engage All Learners. Okay, and it is a very well done piece, and would be a great point of reference for great. secondary teachers, great. middle and high school. We're gonna we're gonna look for we're gonna look for them on Twitter and see if we can find them and yeah. and, and and tweet about that. Um, you bet. Uh, uh, the the last request is make sure that you share about Ed's Not Dead with all those college kids or or, or graduate students that you work with. We we they're, they're into podcasts. We want them to find out about Ed's Not Dead. Sure, I'll be delighted to do that. Happy to do it. All right, thanks again for coming on the show, Dr. Tomlinson. We know that our audience is going to get a tremendous amount out of this interview, right, guys? 
Absolutely. Yes. All right. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Great pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks.